build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is the one who's building his church. I will build my church. He uses people, but he directs the way that his church grows. It's interesting sometimes in some locations you can have one suburb where the church is really strong, adjoining suburb. Things are just really struggling there sometimes. Jesus is the one who's at work. But right now, Jesus is the one who's assembling his church. He's calling people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation, etc., etc., to come and be his church. He is the one who's responsible for the, for the growth of the church. And, and can you see what that means? The work of Jesus in building his church can't fail. If you've got your Bibles there, just flip over to, with me to Revelation chapter 7. And verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Because what I think we have here is one of the most exciting pictures in the Bible, and yet it's not talked about very much at all. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. And this is what we read. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's an amazing scene. It's the final day. And here are the people of God before the throne of God. And there's more people there than you can count. We're being told there it's just an enormous crowd of people. And, it, and it's multi-ethnic. And it will be a thrill to be there on that day. Just think about that. You're here right now, but one day you'll be among that crowd. You will be there if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I find that a, a, just an absolutely thrilling th thought. And who will be there? There will be believers there from the 1st century, and the 5th century, and the 8th century, and the 16th, and the 19th, and the 21st. It will be the very first complete gathering of the church. The first time in history when we will all be there together. And that's, that's, an, that's an astonishing thought when you think about it. You will be there amongst that vast crowd, worshipping God and giving him glory and thanks and honour. And that's a remarkable thing. And who guarantees that it will take place? Not us, but Jesus. Jesus is the one that is assembling that crowd there. Can you see what that means for the gospel? It's unstoppable. It's like going to the airport and standing in front of an aeroplane taking off and saying stop and thinking that somehow you can stop it. It's unstoppable. And there have been people over the last 300 years that have said, look, church, you've, you've got no future. You know, just sell your buildings or property and shut up. You know, be, just become a social service agency. You've got no future. Where are those people now? In the grave. And where's the church growing? The church across the world is growing at the moment at a phenomenal rate. But because Jesus is building his church, that doesn't mean that we can sit back and do nothing. He's given each of us a part to play in his mission. So please come with me back to Luke 24, uh, to those verses we read earlier on. And I want to focus here on verses 46 and 
47. Luke 24 and verses 46 to 47. And this is what we read. Uh, This is what Jesus says. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so Jesus starts there in verse 46 by telling us exactly what the gospel is. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. That's the message that saved us. That's the message we're to declare to the world. Now, it might surprise you, but down through the centuries, there have been various Christians who've said, well, what is the Christian message? What's the gospel? At which point I scratch my head and I think to myself, well, Jesus tells us here what it is. There are some today who will say that the Christian message is to do with the environment or world peace or making the world a better place or some other thing, but... I'm actually a very simple person. I actually believe that what Jesus says here is what he means, the gospel to be, that it's about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins when people repent. It's not that difficult. And yet some people down through the centuries have tried to make it very difficult. That's our message. The word gospel simply means announcement, but it's not just any announcement. It's, it's an announcement for the whole world sort of announcement that's meant to make the whole world sit up and take notice. It's an eternal gospel, we're told, in the book of Revelation. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone on the planet needs to hear this gospel announcement. But did you notice where Jesus gets his gospel from? It's the Old Testament. That's what he means when he says here, this is what is written. And then Jesus pulls together for his disciples... Um, all the Old Testament, and shows how it it actually points to him, that he is the fulfilment, the climax of of the Old Testament. And and so think about it. For 40 days, Jesus taught his disciples. For 40 days, he brings together all of the Old Testament, shows how it points to him. It, It must have been the most intense theological college on the planet. I mean, imagine that. Not only having God himself teach you, but Someone who's come back from the dead. I'd imagine that if someone came back from the dead, we'd pay some attention to what they had to say. And I imagine there were nights when some of the disciples lay on their beds or mats or whatever and couldn't sleep with excitement because of what Jesus had taught them. And I imagine that would have been just mind-blowing in the truest sense of the word. So what are the disciples to do with this gospel? Well, it's there in verse 47. Uh, And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so Jesus is saying here, what I told you, what happened um, before my death, that's the first part. The second part is this, you're not going to take the messages about me out to the ends of the earth. You're going to be part of that. And that's an extraordinary thing to say. Jesus is saying here, you're going to carry on my mission after I leave. What an extraordinary privilege that is. But, but how is it possible that the words of Jesus here in verse 47, that the gospel will go to, the, to all the nations, how is it possible that it comes to pass? Because today you've got believers in the foothills of the Himalayas, in Vanuatu, in South Sudan, in Ethiopia, in Greenland, and Iceland, and parts of... I don't think there's a nation, a continent on earth, that has not had some sort of Christian contact 
The gospel has just gone global. It's gone viral everywhere. When you think about it from a human perspective, the gospel should have stopped in Jerusalem with those disciples. It should have stopped. But instead, it's just gone gangbusters all across the globe. And from a human perspective, you cannot explain it. I mean, think about that time when that woman came to Jesus with that, that flask of ointment and she, she anoints him with that ointment. And what does he say? He says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. How did Jesus know that that would take place? How did he know that right now I'd tell you about this lady? It's only because he's in control of history. He's the one that's directing everything that would happen. I mean, how is it possible that from a group of 11 men, the gospel should spread down into our century throughout the whole world, that so many people should hear about him? The only answer is that Jesus is the one who's at work doing it, directing it. So come back to verse 47 here again. Did you notice here that the word nations? Now, we read that sometimes, we don't think much about it. But it's actually the word for Gentiles. You see, in the Old Testament, the plan was this. Israel was to be such a a distinctive holy nation that the surrounding countries were to come to her and say, what is it about you? What is it about your your worship? What is it about your people that that your poor are, are, are cared for? What is it about you that you're so abundantly blessed What's the difference? And they were meant to say, it's, it's Yahweh, it's God that we worship, the God of the Bible. And they were meant to say, well, we want to know about him too and come and join Israel. But as you know, Israel was unfaithful. In those days, the, the idea was the nations would come, come to the New Testament. What's, what's happening here? Jesus says, go. Old Testament, come. New Testament, go. That's what's happening here. You know, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says now, Go to the ends of the earth. Come and go. And now the nations, uh, we are to go to the nations and we're to take the message of Jesus to those around us. That's what's happening here. And who does Jesus send to do all this? The disciples and us. Remember how Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus works in each of us. He's gifted us, and we're to use that particular gifts. It might be that you know, you're very good at cooking breakfasts that people can be invited to, to come to an event and hear about Jesus, or running a kids' program. Or we've got, got a variety of gifts here, and they're all used together to be able to tell people about Jesus. I know a church down in uh, Victoria, what they do Saturday mornings once, uh, twice a year, the local rotary lets them run, the barbecue store, the shopping centre, you know, the sausage sizzle, etc., etc. Now, half the blokes on the team that run this are not so good at talking to people. Can't do good small talk. So they cook and burn the sausages. The other people, they're great at talking and the gift of the gab. You need those two gifts together for the gospel to go out. Some people are very good at, uh, at talking outwardly and some can use their gifts to support and promote the other side of things as well. So don't, don't think, well, I haven't got the gift of evangelism, I can't be involved in this. No, we do it together, using our gifts uh, to bring glory uh, to God. Someone once said this, there is no following without fishing. We have the extraordinary privilege, privilege of together helping people to know about the Lord Jesus. And we don't do it alone. 
Because when Jesus said, I will make you fishes of men, that, that word there, you, in the Greek language, it's, it's actually an Australian word. It's use. You know, it's all of you together. We do it together to, uh, to, to tell people about Jesus. That is an extraordinary thing. And Jesus is the one who makes sure that the gospel goes out uh, to the ends of the earth. We're not a religious club. We're here to tell people about Jesus. That's why we exist. So what does the gospel do? It advances. It goes forward. Uh, many of you will know Psalm 22 because that's the, the psalm that Jesus quoted while he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It talks all about the Messiah. But then towards the end of Psalm 22, it says this. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. The message goes out to the nations, to the Gentiles. And that's just what happens. It's just what happened. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, 6, now you might like to turn to your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing here about the spread of the gospel. Now, we think this, this is written about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Colossians 1, 6. Paul writes, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Now, in those 30 years, this is what I've calculated. The gospel has gone out from Jerusalem to Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy, Spain, Egypt, North Africa, and Persia. And they're just the ones that we know about. And so Paul is saying here that the words of Jesus in Luke 24, when he talks about the gospel going out, those words have come true, and they continue to come true today as the message about Jesus reaches out to the, to the ends of the earth. You know, it, it's very easy to look at the church in the Western world and think that somehow the gospel is not going forward. I mean, you look at the 2016 16 census statistics that came out earlier this year and all the sort of commentary in the media saying, oh, church, you know, you're done for, you're, you haven't got much, much more time to live, etc., etc. You know, get ready for despair and woe. That's not what Jesus is doing. The gospel is actually growing throughout the world. Don't be fooled by appearances. Don't think that the worldwide church is having the struggles that the Australian church and other Western churches are having. It's interesting, you know, Europe was a, a continent that once sent missionaries to Africa. You know what's happening now? Africa is now sending missionaries to Europe. <laughs> Crazy when you think about it, but distressing at the same time as we see the European church, by and large, there are some great exceptions, as we see the European church just abandoning the gospel. But sometimes the, the advance of the gospel happens in ways that seem puzzling or confusing to us. Two quick, two quick and famous examples. 1934, John and Betty Stam, a young couple, go to China as missionaries. At the time, the communists and the nationalists are having a lot of fighting. There's a power struggle going on in China. The communists get hold of the Stams and they behead them. There's outrage in America. Even Life magazine, you know, a secular magazine, runs a, a full feature on them. What happens in the years that follow? Hundreds of people volunteer to go to China and serve as missionaries to replace the stamps. Hundreds. And the, and the work of the gospel advances in China. 
through that tragedy, God uses even that. Not the way that we would choose, but that's what God did. Or 1981 in Colombia, uh, Chet Bitterman, a Wycliffe Bible translator, some guerrillas get a hold of Chet Bitterman and say to Wycliffe, right, 24 hours to get all of your missionaries out of, out of uh, Colombia, or we execute Chet Bitterman, they killed him. What happens in the next year? Applications to serve with Wycliffe across the world just double. Sometimes God works through struggling and through suffering uh, for the progress of the gospel. Well, think about Australia. Think about where God has placed us geographically as a nation. We've actually been able to be a spearhead for mission into Asia and South Asia and the Pacific. What would happen if, say, the French had settled here instead of the, of the, uh, the British? You would have had a secular nation or Roman Catholic nation and you wouldn't have had this as a base for mission. Australia has been quite strategic in the history of world mission just because of the way in which God has, has worked among us. So remember this. Today, the gospel is advancing throughout the world. Africa, 1910, there were about 10 million Christians. Today, it's about 370 million and it's just going up. The number of Christians in Africa overtook the number of Muslims back in 1967 way back then. Or China today. It's estimated that there are almost uh, an equal number or more members of the Christian church in China today than there are members of the Communist Party. Chairman Mao would be horrified at what's happening. Or think about places uh, like Malawi. I was there last year. I preached in a church that had 10 different congregations and only 4,000 members. Uh, the denomination we belong to in Malawi has got a membership of 5 million people. You know, it's just, the, the, the doors aren't just open in Africa, they're off the hinges. You know, there are great opportunities uh, that are there. You know, people like Dawkins and other new atheists, they call Christianity a superstition. But if it's a superstition, why has it not died out? Why has it continued on? You see, Stalin and Mao Zedong and others and Dawkins, they haven't read their Bibles, they haven't read their history books. You cannot stop, stop the work that Jesus is doing. I mean, think of the 11 disciples. If you're going to plant a church, say, in you know, part of Canberra, which I know you've done in the past, would you choose the 11 disciples? You know, 11 cowards at the very point at which Jesus you know, was being taken away. You wouldn't choose them naturally would you but they're they're the ones that Jesus uses he uses weak individuals to display his glory and power and he uses weak people like us to advance his gospel that is a stunning thing when you think about it so three quick things what should we do first of all remember that being involved in mission whether it's through praying and giving and supporting and encouraging and even going yourself it's not an option You know, it's not sort of for super spiritual Christians. We're all to be involved. And where does mission take place? It's wherever you are. It's not just overseas. It's here in Canberra, isn't it? Mission takes place where there are Christians. It it, it involves all of us. Um, the, The word missionary just means someone who is sent. So it's wanting people to know, people around me to know about Jesus. So we can't think that it's just something optional for super keen Christians. But the second thing is this, be informed. Be informed. Read. Pray. Read missionary biographies. Some of them are just fantastic. 
in some of the things that God has done. I read one earlier this year. Eric Liddell, the famous Olympic um, uh, runner, uh, after he left the fame and glory of his Olympic days, went to China and served as a missionary there. They're making a movie. I think um, Joseph Fiennes is in it. It'll be out, I think, next year. Um, But read biographies. Be encouraged by them uh, because there are great things happening Great things happening. And uh, uh, time does not permit me to tell about them, like Hebrews chapter 11. And so the third thing is this. Have confidence in what Jesus is doing. Remember the future. We read the future this morning in Revelation chapter 7. Our politicians don't know the future. We do, because Jesus has already revealed the future to us. His mission cannot fail. It will succeed. One day the, the earth will be covered with the, with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. That's where all of history is heading. That's its terminal point. And friends, we ought to long for that day when we'll be before that vast and great crowd, before the throne of God. We ought to ache for that day. We ought to cry, come Lord Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom in in all of its fullness. Bring the rebellion to an end. Let justice and mercy come because Jesus is the one who's building his church and that means it's unstoppable.